you need three things. You need the sand, you need the sea, you need the moon to create a tide. It's called Tide Fight. And uh, the aim of the game is not to get wet or drown. And what you do is you build a little wall uh, and you build yourself a little island and you get on the island and you just basically wait for the tide to come in. And, uh, and we used to take this game very, very seriously. There would be like pep talks, game plans. We'd have like, a little group hug. We'd pray. Um, <laughs> we'd wave goodbye to mum and we'd self down the beach. And we'd start digging away. And my little brother would be there like, not today, Poseidon, not today. He'd be like getting way too into it. And uh, my dad would get us all to shout, no surrender at the sea. And, um, but of course, the sea would always win. And we would always have to surrender. And we'd trudge up the beach, feeling very soggy and shame-faced. In our society, surrender, ooh, thank you. Uh, surrender is not a very positive word. We associate it with cowardice and failure. To surrender is to be weak. But in the book of Ephesians, we see a radical new perspective on surrender. Uh, so let's have a little look at it. I'll, I'll read it out first from my Bible. Uh, if you've got your Bibles on, you, you can get them out. And we're going to be having a look at Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So um, if you've been here for the past few weeks, you might already know a little bit about Paul, who is widely believed that he's the author of Ephesians. And you might know a little bit about the historical context, but I'll go over it again, uh, just as a little refresher. So last week, Adam talked about Paul's mission to tell the Gentiles, who are non-Jewish people, about Jesus. And the first half of Ephesians is like the very core of what it means to be a Christian. It tells the story of Jesus. Um, Paul writes that God see his church as holy and blameless and that we've been adopted by Jesus and the spirit of God lives with us now. And then the second half of Ephesians is instructions on how to live once you understand that story. Paul is writing to one of the Gentile churches and whilst he's writing to them, he gets put in prison. You see, in chapter 3, verse 12, Paul talks about us being able to approach God with freedom and confidence. And he says that the good things of God are being handed out to everyone. He calls himself the less than the least. Everyone is welcome to get close to God. And for the Romans, that is a really scary prospect. Because Roman society was built on inequality um, and injustice. You had uh, the emperors and the gods, and then women were on a different rung, and slaves were on a different rung. You had the subjugated people groups. 
So they were afraid of a man who came out and he said uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians and in Colossians and in Galatians that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there is male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He's really not subtle about the fact that God's love is for everyone. And that is so radical that the Romans throw him in prison. We think that the, uh, the empire was probably under the rule of Nero at the time. So these were really volatile, violent, unjust times. They were extreme, unpredictable, which kind of sounds familiar. Uh, and in the midst of these times, Paul is writing about love, which must have been kind of irritating, both for the Jews and for the Romans. The Jews are like, but we want to get our you know, land back. We want to fight. And the Romans you know, want this kind of system in place. And three times in the book of Ephesians, Paul calls himself a prisoner. So he is a physical prisoner. He is actually in chains. But also he's kind of chained to his mission. He can't escape his calling. He knows the love of God so deeply. He is so convicted. He can't help but tell everyone about it. Paul surrendered his freedom, motivated by love for the sake of the Gentiles. So let's get to Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. Chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. That's, that's quite a short verse. Um, but Paul describes himself kneeling. He's powerless. He's in a position of submission. There's no pride or ego, only surrender. I said earlier that surrender is not a popular word. The thought of being submissive and vulnerable is quite uncomfortable. Women, well, we're always told that we need to be like strong and independent and cool. And men... You're always told, boys don't cry, you need to man up. We're really frightened of weakness, but Paul opens his prayer by surrendering to God. So Paul goes on. The Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. It's really cool how we're all counted as one family, like heaven and earth, with all the angels and the dead people. It's quite creepy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) the, The point is, is that... We get our identity. We get our identity from God. So the names that our mums and our dads and our husbands and our wives and our girlfriends and our boyfriends and our housemates and our lecturers, and even ourselves, the names we give ourselves don't have any power over us. There is one name who truly tells us who we are, and that's the name of Jesus, whose name is love and power. And also, if we're a family united under one name, we don't just love our dad, the father, We love each other. If we're filled to the measure with God's love, we're going to love each other like God loves us, which sounds really nice and fluffy. But actually, when you consider that God endured thousands of years of human beings being like, nah, I don't want to know you, and when Jesus got nailed to a cross, it gets a bit scarier. Because Paul's radical message is that Jesus loves everyone and died for everyone, even people who are not interested. Jesus said it in the one preach of his that we have recorded. If someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, give them your coat as well. We don't love expecting to be loved back. We love because God loved us first. We've probably got all friends, we've all got friends who are probably difficult to love and we're difficult to love too. And Jesus' friends were really problematic and they were difficult to love. They were cynical. They argued with each other, didn't trust Jesus. They were greedy with money. They were prejudiced and judgmental, and they didn't listen to him ever. And yet Jesus still called them his friends. What if we tried that with some of the relationships that we might have given up on? Or if we invested in the people that society has given up on? There's a poem by Pete Gregg called The Vision, 
Uh, and I found some lines in it which demonstrate to us uh, the radical upside-down love. There's a quote from it which says, The tattoo on their back boasts, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. They would lay down their very lives, swap seats with the man on death row, guilty as hell, a throne for an electric chair. And my friend Meggie uh, wrote a poem this week, and she put it on Instagram, which kind of echoes this. She wrote, What the world needs is not an absence of suffering, but a people committed to suffer for love. It sounds like quite a lot of effort to love like this. And the way that we surrender and love might not be getting put in an electric chair or getting nailed to a cross. The way that we surrender and love might be praying for other people more than we pray for ourselves or backing someone up in a seminar when they're, you know, lecturers having a go at them. Or we might be shopping in a charity shop instead of buying new clothes, you know, sweatshop clothes and stuff. It might be taking notice of and helping poor and lonely people how many times does the Bible mention helping poor people? About 300 times. And how often do we do it? Not, not that much. It does seem overwhelming and exhausting to love like this. But the power that God gives us is the power to love people. It is the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. The power of God brings freedom and release. So how do we take hold of this power? The Spirit dwells in our inner being, in our heart. To love like God loves, we have to be transformed on the inside. It says it in Romans 12 too. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have to let the Holy Spirit change us from the inside out. We have to surrender our independence and become dependent on God. I, um, I really like being nosy and like looking around people's rooms and bedrooms and stuff. And, uh, and, kind, of like <laughs> and kind of like guessing what their personality is like from what they're room is like. There's a social experiment that Adam was telling me about that, um, that people had to kind of guess what the characteristics of a person was like uh, based on their, was it on their room or something. Uh, I think if anyone saw my room right now, they'd be like, she's a mess. <laughs> 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 um, but it's the same with us. When we have the spirit living in us, our character reflects who God is. We become loving, joyful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, self-controlled. They're the characteristics of the Spirit, which you can read about in Galatians 5.22. Um, when I first met my housemate and one of my best friends, Lydia, um, pretty much exactly two years ago, next week, a little friend anniversary, um, <laughs> it was the first day of university. And um, I met her, and I remember thinking, I bet you're a Christian. Because she kept saying, like, flipping heck. And I was like, no, <laughs> no, one's, that, no one's that lame. <laughs> but then, like, not swearing. So, um, uh, but there was, there was kind of there was something else in her character as well. It wasn't just that. <laughs> she, she just seemed really confident and content and peaceful. And when she talked to you, she was really invested in, in what you were saying. Um, and... She's been like that every day I've lived with her, and um, she's not here, so I can, you know, no, no one tell her that I've said this, because she's got a massive ego. Um, so, how do we change? How do we learn to love like Jesus loved? Well, we can pray that our characters would be changed. We can read the Bible to see stories of how Jesus loved and copy him. We can spend time with other people who are good at loving like Jesus loved. God wants us to love. 
It's his speciality, and therefore he will equip us. He will change our characters. And we move on to verse 18, which is my favorite bit of the chapter. It says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This is my favorite bit because it is so extravagant. It's like he's got like a word count to me. It's like when you're doing an essay and trying to think of every synonym there is. Paul could have just said, I, I pray that you grasp God's love. But he is so stirred and convinced by this love because he's experienced it for himself. There's a book I read over the summer by Shane Claiborne. It's called The Irresistible Revolution. And they're amazing love stories in there, but it's really practical love. It's people living together as community. They share everything they have. They help the poor. They challenge injustice. Um, and uh, if, if you would like to read it and, and hear about those stories, I would love to lend you a copy. Don't, I don't have time to tell you the stories now, but, um, but they are amazing. And Paul prays in verse 18 that the Ephesians may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. To grasp is to take hold and hold it tightly to that love that surpasses knowledge. If we've been a Christian for a while, or maybe we've been told over and over again that Jesus loves us, um, we can kind of have like a head knowledge, like a kind of superficial knowledge. We, we know that we're loved. But it's Paul's prayer, and it's my prayer, that everyone will have such an experience of God's love. They'll be so convinced to such an extent that it will change lives. I know someone who... Uh, uh, last summer, had an experience um, which convinced him of God's love and it changed his life. And I'll read a bit from his blog. But on a seemingly normal, sweaty evening in London, on an overground train to Hackney Wick, a completely random flow of emotion surged over me like a wave for a split second. My eyes started to well up. I also began to think of God. For someone who doesn't believe in a God, the idea of faith isn't something that comes to your mind regularly. In fact, I never thought about faith. I had no idea why it happened. I just knew that I had to pursue it in some way. When I think back to that sweaty evening on the overground, I now completely understand why it happened there and then. God was reaching out to me, reaching out to me in one of my darkest moments. God was saying that I am not alone, that I will never be alone again. It's a, it's a good blog. I like the author. Um, it, it might not be intense or emotional experiences which convince you of God's love. God, not, God might not speak to you through your emotions. I know I don't always like walk around like feeling God's love. But it might be a conversation or a miracle. It might be seeing social action, something beautiful in nature, an amazing song or piece of art. It might be your anger at injustice that convinces you that there, there must be a God who created me and who is also angry at injustice. And I'm going to pray, and in the moment, we're going to pray all together that we will grasp this love that surpasses knowledge. Because that is the only way we are ever going to be able to show life-changing love to each other. If we are first inspired by God's love for us, if we have a grasp on how deep and wide and high and long, and all the directions that it goes in. If we have a grasp, we hold tightly to that love. How can we help but see each other through the Father's eyes? And I warn you, hearts get broken when you love like this. It's part of the surrender.
But look at how Jesus' love changed history. So I'm going to close this by praying the last verse of Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, which is a prayer that receives the power and the love of God, and it sends it back to its author. And uh, after I've prayed, we're going to get together in groups of twos and threes. And um, if there's any words or, um, that, that God gives to you or that come from the verse, um, there's pens around that you can um, write on each other's hands those words to kind of mark it um, semi-permanently. Um, mark this moment, uh, and you can look back on those words throughout the week. Also, if you are able to, I'm going to ask that you all kneel down. And I'll kneel down too. It's not like, it's not weird. By the way, if this is your first time at church and this is really weird. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, if this is your first time, uh, you know, join with what you're comfortable with. But but also challenge God to, to show up because I believe that there is a God who desperately loves you. Uh, I'm also going to ask that we put our, our hands up in a kind of like we're surrendering. So to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, which is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all the generations forever and ever. God, send your power now. Send us visions and dreams and pictures of what it might mean for our world to love like you love. Show us what change we could bring about. Change us. And keep telling us, God, we're we're sorry. We've got bad memories. We need reminding all the time. Tell us that you love us. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Amen. Amen.